Welcome to Unbossed. So glad to have you here today. We are going to talk about how Trump held a rally in Iowa where he said some pretty wacky stuff, but that's not unusual, is it? Billionaires pump millions into this election cycle. That's not unusual either because we are actually turning into the corporate states of America, but that's not quite new, but it is definitely more pronounced in the 21st century. And Joe Manchin is acting up again. And I have the none other than the one and only who can handle the people who act up. He handles them well. I have my dear friend, Mike Figueredo, here with me. He is the host of the Humanist Report. Mike, it is so great to see you. Senator, I am so happy to be here. I love the new show. Congrats on it. You're just crushing it, but that's no surprise to anyone watching. You, you always kill it. Oh, thank you so much. And back at you. So, Mike, we're going to start off with Twitter reactions to this billionaire's temper tantrum. You might be asking which billionaire. I'm just talking about Elon Musk. He's all over the news today. He has temper tantrums with consequences and another example of absolute power corrupting absolutely. As promised, Elon started his mass firing of Twitter uh, Twitter layoffs today, and no surprise that there's been an uproar and a stir and a stir all over the country, all over the world. Let's take a look at some of what folks had to say. We're going to start off with Ben Collins, and Ben posted employees in Twitter just got an email from their bosses saying layoffs are coming. Those who are staying will get a note tomorrow in their work email. Those who are let go will get an email sent to their personal address. Slot machine style layoffs. If this is not an example of cowardice, I don't know what is, but Ben further lets us know. Some employees I'm hearing from at Twitter are desperate to get laid off and get severance. The work culture there is beyond toxic. Some are afraid to push back against Elon because they don't want to risk getting fired for cause, disagreeing with Elon and losing severance. Yeah, I get it. One of the Twitter employees put up this post to let us know what was going on. Said, I was fired from Twitter this morning. I was responsible for reporting tweets for content abuse. Imagine that. Those are the first people that you go after, the people who are responsible for making sure that folks don't abuse the atmosphere, the social square, so to speak. So we're going to get at them first. And then next we have Rashad Robinson, who posted this. Elon Musk fired the entire team that identified the Twitter algorithm, algorithm amplifies right wing voices over others. Not the first time we have seen staff, particularly black employees, punished for flagging how their company's products enable and amplify racism. So as we mentioned earlier this week, certainly hate speech has increased since this man has purchased Twitter. The use of the N-word has increased by 500%. And then transphobia, homophobic comments, yeah, they have all increased as well. 
they're following the leader there. And some of these folks believe that they can just run wild on Twitter. And obviously they can. They think they can say and do anything. And unfortunately, social media, because people get to be anonymous, is something about being anonymous that gives people the courage to act crazy and to spread all kinds of foolishness and mayhem. People say things on the social media square that they would never have the courage to say to somebody's face. But you know what? Somebody brought the hammer on, on Elon today. <laughs> yeah, she did bring the hammer. Let's put up uh, what Bloom had to say. She said, I'm now in contact with many Twitter workers who reached out to me about a class action lawsuit overnight. You had the right to 60 days notice under federal and state warrant acts. You didn't get it. Mr. Musk, the storm is coming, baby. Winner. Winner is coming. She did that, Mike. Yeah, you know, he's getting a little bit more than he bargained for. I know that he overpaid for Twitter, but you can't just come in and fire so many employees without cause. I mean, I get that. You know, it's not necessarily new to see somebody buy out a company and clean house, but the way that he's doing it is obviously it's going to conflict with some people. Um, and it's interesting. You referenced how there's been an increase in hate. There's been no policy changes on Twitter. Like they haven't changed what is and isn't permissible. It's just that people feel emboldened. And now we're kindly uh, finally getting a sense of what the right actually wants free speech to be or their conception of free speech. It's literally just hate speech. Um, you know, he's not changing anything. He's not bringing back accounts yet who were banned. So they just feel emboldened. And they feel as if they can uh, they can hate. Uh, but I love that now he if you look at his Twitter um, feed today, he's also, you know, aside from him getting sued, which I'm sure he's not very happy about. He is seeing advertisers flee because, I mean, that's that's capitalism. That's the free market. What advertiser is going to want to pour money into a platform where use of the N word increased by 500 percent? Just because there was a new takeover, again, no policy changes. They just feel emboldened now. Who wants to associate their brand with that? I mean, capitalism is all about making money. So if they view Twitter as a toxic brand, they're not going to want to identify with that brand. And so on top of that, you have him throwing temper tantrums effectively because people are reacting negatively to the $8 verification badge, which is just such a bad idea that it, it – it, what it tells me is that these billionaires, they've never had anyone in their life tell them that their idea is bad. They just surround themselves with yes men and yes women, and they just validate everything. When sometimes you need somebody to call you out on your BS, you need somebody to tell you no, that's actually a really bad idea, because if not, then you end up looking like Elon Musk. So there's that. And then on top of that, there's the right who was celebrating Elon Musk turning on Elon Musk. I actually did a video about this because it's so funny, because he apparently met with civil rights leaders from the ADL, the NAACP. And first of all, that's a non-starter because leftists, right? Um, and on top of that, he responded to another Twitter employee saying that they will continue to police hate and harassment. And that was it. That was like the straw that broke the, uh, the camel's back for the right. So he he got himself into a huge mess. I don't know why anyone would overpay for Twitter. He's finding out that it's not very profitable and he's making matters worse because of his own making. And it's like a train wreck. I can't look away. And because of all of the drama, I almost like that he bought Twitter, even if I was against it at first, just because it's so entertaining. Well, we know, Mike, this is nothing but a pure unadulterated power grab that we do yep. know. That's why somebody of his ultra wealth and means would do it because he wants a megaphone to say and to do whatever he wants to do. 
And that is exactly what he, he plans to do on Twitter. Well, we're going to stay tuned to this, Mike. We're going to keep we're going to keep up with this because it is indeed entertaining. We see where that eight dollar verification goes. <laughs> oh, another person making mischief in the world. And that is President Donald J. Trump. He never stops making mischief. So he spoke at a rally last night in Sioux City, Iowa. And here is some of what he had to say. Take a listen and a look. Can't walk down a sidewalk in Chicago, get hit, hit over the head with a baseball bat from behind and say, gee, we live in a wonderful place. I'm calling for the death penalty for drug dealers and human traffickers, which will, upon its passage, reduce drug distribution and crime the first day by 75%. Crime will go down. Some of us have horrible children. Do you have any horrible children? Any? Does anybody have like a child where you really are not going to leave your farm? Any farmers? We are a nation where fentanyl and all other forms of illegal drugs are easier to get than formula for our beautiful little babies. Your favorite president got screwed. My, my, my. We all know where this is going. So Trump's rally in Iowa comes on the heels of a potential announcement that he is, in fact, going to run for president again in 2024. No surprise there. He's been teasing that for quite a while. Take a look at this headline. Trump hasn't announced a 2024 bid, but he's acting like he's running. The former president is holding a rally in Iowa and taking swipes at likely primary rivals while his super PAC is running ads attacking Biden. Oh my God, I'm telling you, this is a sigh moment. It really is. So we can't imagine that those events, I mean, they're so hate-filled. He is inducing folks again. He's motivating folks. The base instincts of his followers, that is what he pulls up and pulls out. And Trump is hoping to ride a Republican win, a Republican wave on next Tuesday. That remains to be seen. And it's not looking good right now for Democrats, especially in the House. Mike? Yeah, I think that the way that he's speaking kind of does give me an indication that he will be announcing very soon. Because if you watch some of his rallies over the summer, and you shouldn't because it'll rot your brain. But if you watch it, he was just more casual. Um, he would just kind of BS, talk about random things, talk about himself. But now he's actually trotting out these right wing talking points, uh, really important talking points for the GOP. I saw this graph. I can't remember who produced it, uh, but basically it showed as of September, the mentions of crime, according to Fox News, increased drastically. And that's because whenever we get closer to elections, that's when the GOP begins to fearmonger about crime, about immigration, about drugs. And so he's doing what he feels he needs to do to help Republicans. And I think this is all kind of leading up to him inevitably announcing um, that he's going to run again. And I'm honestly dreading it. Um, you know, it's it's something that we're all expecting, but just to see him more present again is not something that I look forward to, because even if he's always kind of been around, just getting a little bit of a break from him and all of that hate and vitriol and just stupidity was kind of nice. But he's going to be back in the headlines again. And Trump is somebody who drives headlines, love him or hate him. He sets the agenda. He's able to monopolize political discourse. So the media will once again be obsessed with him. And I think, you know, there, there's reasons to cover him. But it's just it, the thought, honestly, is exhausting because think about this. We're all probably fatigued a little bit from the election. I know I'm just seeing all the signs 
um, when I drive around, it's just like, oh, my God, please let this be over. But to just get right back into election mode within a couple of months, if not weeks, if he announces soon and see the GOP campaign, it's just it's so exhausting at this moment. And that's all I feel is fatigue, honestly. Like when I see Donald Trump before, I used to feel, you know, rage and uh, irritation. But now I just feel exasperated whenever I see him speak. I'm just so over it. Yeah, he definitely drains. I mean, he he it is exhausting. I was thinking that even before you said it, that was the word that came to mind for me. Just he he snaps, he he zaps rather life from folks. That's what he does. If you're not one of his minions, he he, he definitely zaps your our energy. We're gonna put up this graph because uh, Democrats need to get it together. Tuesday is almost here, and they got this weekend and, and Monday. But how the Senate forecast has changed. See how each party's forecasted seat total and changes of control in the Senate have changed over time. The forecast updates at least once a day, and whenever we get a new poll, and that's coming from five. 38. You know, earlier, Mike, earlier in the in the year, everybody thought that the Democrats pretty much had this, if not totally sold up, there was enough of a gap between them and Republicans to be to have a little comfort. But now as the months have ticked on, it is patently clear that Democrats have lost a lot of ground. We want to put up another graph for you to respond to. So Cable News weekday interviews of U.S. Senate candidates, and we do see that their coverage of Republicans is, is you know, much higher than their coverage of uh, the Democrats. We saw that happen for Trump when he ran in 2016. I mean, he got, he received billions, uh, at least over a billion dollars worth of what we would call earned media. And media does drive what people think, especially if you are tuned in to any of these networks 24-7. It's a study diet of news. I mean, you are being inundated on a regular basis, and it does have an impact, right? Yeah, I think that what we're seeing with regard to that graph is the difference between the Democratic Party establishment and the Republican establishment is that the media apparatus like Fox News, OAN, those for the most part, not maybe not like officially, but unofficially are inextricably linked. So Fox News views themselves as the campaign arm of the Republican Party as well, whereas MSNBC, certainly they side with the Democratic Party and, you know, they they try to set the agenda and uh, have on more Democrats. But I don't think that they view themselves as um, dependent. They're, they're more independent, whereas Fox News and the Republican Party is more linked. So when it's election season, they they get into gear like that. They know what they need to do to deliver for the Republican Party. And one thing that's interesting is that the talking points are all synced up. You know, when one Republican says something, you hear it on Fox News, you hear it on OAN, you hear them all say the same thing in unison. Whereas with Democrats, if you see one Democrat make a good point, you usually don't hear that again unless it's from the same Democrat. So there's no cohesion there with the message. And I think that if there's no cohesion, that makes it more difficult for it to land. Because the thing about voters is in order for them to understand something, you've got to repeat it again and again and again. It's a matter of memorization. So I think that if Democrats, they all had a message that they said in unison, 
uh, a pro working class message in the same way that the Republicans have a, a fear mongering message, crime, inflation, fentanyl, and Halloween candy, whatever, then I think that that would really behoove them. But the problem is that it's so isolated. Like I've been giving credit to Biden here and there, which is hard for me to do, by the way, as a leftist, but I've been giving him credit because he's been talking about the ways in which Republicans want to cut social security. I think he's been doing a good job at hammering them for going after student debt relief, but you don't really see that. You see different types of campaigns being run by Democrats. And I understand that not you know, that the message that resonates in California might not resonate in Ohio. So sure, you have to tweak it. But at the end of the day, there has to be some cohesion and there's just not a lot of cohesion with the Democratic Party. And I think that what really benefited them, aside from outrage over the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, was the cohesion. Everyone in unison was just angry about abortion. You know, we were talking about liberty for women. We were talking about the ways in which this is going to harm working class women, women of color. and then. The anger died down, and then yeah. the GOP seized on that. So, Mike, you know, they, they didn't, but they didn't, they didn't take that moment and and let it flow into a larger message. In many right. ways, and I I agree, I can't disagree with what you're saying. I mean, that outrage was there, that moment it was palpable. But you got to do something with it because nature exactly. abhors a vacuum. Like you can't let that outrage just go. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And they should have taken that issue and wrapped it around economics. But instead, yeah. for a while, like they they pretended like just abortion, just overturning Roe was going to be enough. And mm -hmm. I think it's a too little, too late. You know, they they kind of got it now. But hey. Tuesday is right around the corner. What are your thoughts about? And and I agree with you. Look, the president is saying those things. I, I think he should go deeper and say more. The speech that he just gave the other day, he stayed on democracy, which is is Republicans are certainly a clear and present danger. But I wanted to see him take that economic message because that is people are feeling the pain and poll after poll shows that the number one issue that people are concerned about, not that they're not concerned about democracy, but you gotta show people how the democracy message fits into, is very much a part of an economic message. So do you think it's too little too late? Um, Yeah, unfortunately, I, I do feel like it is a little bit um too late. And I think what you're saying is absolutely spot on. They have to harness you know, that outrage, but they never do. And the thing about their message on democracy, it may be correct. The problem is that it's not going to resonate with everyone. There was a poll, um, I can't remember who conducted it, but it's a media headline. It said that seven in 10 Republicans favor a strong economy to a functioning democracy. So when people prioritize the economy that much, and they think that Republicans are going to be the party that delivers on a strong economy and benefit them financially, uh, personally, that's a hard message to compete with, especially how salient that is to them. So Democrats have got to adapt. That doesn't mean that you abandon the issue of abortion or you abandon democracy. It just means that you have that's this right. multifaceted message, which they really are <laughs> unidimensional. You know, they, they have to be multidimensional. They, they have to be able to talk about a lot of things because voters, they have a lot of concerns and the economy hasn't been something that dem the Democrats, in my opinion, has emphasized uh, enough. And it's it's hard, Mike, for neoliberals to put forth the requisite emotion when it comes right. to people's pain. Uh, we both understand that neo-fascism is a bigger threat in the short term, choke you out right away. 
and neoliberalism takes a little longer to to choke you out. So we got to do something right. about neo-fascism. But it is because of neoliberalism that we find ourselves in this situation. This is not isolated. We got to do something about it. Yeah, we, the collective we, we must. And we must take a break. Uh, Mike, we'll, Michael and I will be right back. And welcome back to the show. On to viewer comments. You know this is my favorite part. So we have TYT member Cray Cray says, Whoa, Mike from the Humanist Report is with Nina. My TYT Friday is going well. Love it, Cray Cray. <laughs> On Twitch, the real McCoy says, Hello, Miss Lovely Nina. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And YouTube Super Chat. Aggravated progressive said, you know what, Mike? I'm an aggravated progressive too. I love that. <laughs> How could you not be at this point, right? <laughs> I know, right. Aggravated progressive says, Nina Turner, heart and fire. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Hello, aggravated progressive. Uh, Mike and I are right with you. We aggravated as hell too. If you yeah. ain't mad about something, something wrong with you, baby. You ain't got a yeah. pulse with all this foolishness. Quote <laughs> one of my friends, foolishness and mayhem going on. I want you all to remember, do not forget Brittany Griner and her family. There was a latest report that the administration is you know, trying to do some things. We want them to amp that up. But in the meantime, we all can play a role by lifting up her and her family, doing whatever we can. Uh, helping organizations that are helping to bring her. And if you're a praying person, thinking person, sending good vibes, whatever you do that's on the goodness side, please send it their way. And hashtag if you are on social media, if you still dare to be on social media, hashtag we are BG. That's hashtag we are BG. And our family and friends, sisters and brothers in Jackson, Mississippi, water crisis is still ongoing. You can help us help them by donating any amount. And when I say any, I mean any amount will do just a little bit. Many hands make for light work. Donate at tyt.com slash relief. That is tyt.com slash relief. We really appreciate you, all of our viewers and all of our subscribers. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without you, baby. So thank you so much. Tim Michaels, never lose another election. Yeah, this is what this Republican uh, that's this is what he said, but go ahead. Don't take my word for it. Take his. Republicans will never lose another election in Wisconsin after I'm elected governor. Yeah, you heard that right. Now I don't know how. Maybe he has a crystal ball or something that he can predict that after he takes office that another Republican would never ever lose again. Or maybe he's talking about rigging some stuff by changing public policy in a way that makes it harder and harder and harder. For people who would not vote that way to vote. I don't know what that means, but he got some superpowers that I just don't know about. So you you heard it. He said that. He said the quiet part out loud. Republicans will never lose another election. It was in Wisconsin after I'm elected governor. And hey, that's dangerous. So Tim Michaels, who won his August primary with Trump's endorsement. Yeah, has left open the possibility that he would try to decertify the 2020 election in Wisconsin, which legal scholars say is impossible. He has declined to say whether he would certify the results of the 2024 election. Now, if the man wins, so he's talking about going backwards and then also going forward with this thing too. We don't know, but what we do know is what came out of his mouth. He was very, very clear. And the, the race in Wisconsin is very close. It is extremely close. Take a look at that. 
Very close. This man could be governor. God forbid, Mike. Yeah, you know, maybe he just thinks that his policies are going to be so popular that nobody would ever dare vote for a Democrat ever again. Is that you know, what maybe, it is? maybe that's what it is. You know, okay. uh, no. But since we've been watching the last two years and we haven't been living in a, a cave, at least I'm, I'm assuming that for most people, I think we all know what this means. I mean, when you have so many GOP governors. Who are deny governor candidates, by the way, who are denying the election. When you have secretaries of state, attorneys general across the country who are election deniers, we're in very dangerous territory. And we don't necessarily know how this is going to play out. We can only anticipate what will or won't happen. I think that the most obvious situation that we could find ourselves in is that if Trump or Republicans wanted to stage a coup again, this time they have more institutional power that would make them successful. And then I'm thinking about this and the Supreme Court case that's working its way through the system. They hear it on December 7th, I believe, Moore v. Harper, to where if they approve independent state legislature theory, this could actually legitimize, constitutionally speaking, governors just subverting the will of the people. So if they want to appoint their own electors, they can technically do that. So we're in such dangerous territory. And I think that for all of the people who are Worried about democracy, I don't think anyone really understands the extent to which we should be afraid, not to fear monger, but this is how democracies die. And I think that a lot of us take democracy for granted. First of all, because the United States has never been a real democracy, arguably. I mean, democracies require universal suffrage. They require <laughs> consolidation of the institutions and making it more democratic. But what dem democracy we have currently, um, it's in danger, and I think that people believe that since we've all been conditioned to live in democracy, that's what's always going to be the case. But if you look around the world, most democ democracies, statistically speaking, die at some point. Every single democracy has a shelf life. Now, yes, it is the case that there are some advantages for us. Our democracy has has existed longer, so that gives us some advantages. There's additional buy-in that we don't see with newly democratized countries around the world, but democracy at some point is going to die. And I think that we're in that beginning stage of the end stage of democracy. And I just don't think that people understand what that's gonna look like and how bad it's going to get, how much civil rights and civil liberties we will lose as a country if we lose our democracy. And it's already bad, but under an actual authoritarian regime, it gets worse. So it's just, I'm very fearful for the future. And it comes at the worst time when we should be doing everything in our power to unite as a, as a human species to solve climate change. But we're going backwards at the worst possible time. So it's just like this combination of bad things that I feel like it's leading to our demise as a species. And I don't know how to internally grapple with that. It's, it's really dark. Yeah, you're not alone in that. And certainly regression happens more quickly than progress. And progression than progress. You know, my grandmother used to say, you know, it's easier to jump in the hole than it is to get out. And we're yeah. seeing that happen in real time right now in this country and all across the world. Now, Tim Michael is running against incumbent Democratic Governor Tony Evers. And here's a fun fact it's an important fact. Maybe I should call it an important fact. But Governor Tony Evers vetoed nine Republican election bills earlier this year. And those bills would have made it even harder for people to vote in Wisconsin. Let's take a look at what this governor did. So the Republican controlled Wisconsin legislature election bills banned local officials from correcting information on absentee ballot, 
narrowed the definition of indefinitely confined voters, required the state to verify the citizenship of immigration, made it harder to request absentee ballots, deactivated the registrations of voters with discrepancies, given the legislature more power to block federal election guidance. And Michael, you are Mike, I don't know why I, I want to use that full name. Mike, you were alluding to that about the case that is going before the Supreme Court right now. You have state legislatures trying to do it themselves. And it is vitally important who holds the people's power. And I know sometimes when we mm -hmm. say things like that, it sounds so trite, but this is real. And one of the failures, Mike, I believe of the Democratic Party is to just kind of, not just kind of, totally see territory on state legislatures mm -hmm. to Republicans. And Republicans have been very comfortable with Democrats winning the, I shouldn't say comfortable, but they have accepted winning the Congress, even though they'll push back on that and winning the presidency. And they have gone all in on controlling state legislatures across this country. You cannot just hold the levers of power on the federal level. You got to have other teams, you got to have other players on the field, on the state, regional and local levels of government. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why the Democratic Party does not look at the winning of elections in a holistic way. Yeah, it's especially crucial now because where the electoral theft could happen if Republicans did want to do something would primarily be at the local level. So Democrats should never miss an opportunity to run someone in a race, never just expect that oh, there's gonna be a Democrat running, like invest in these local races. And that's one area where the Republican Party to their credit has been a lot more savvy. They don't ever just sit out of a school board race. They no. run everyone from you know president to dog catcher, they don't care. And that's where Democrats I think have really failed. And what makes this situation in Wisconsin worse is that as you alluded to, there are Republicans in control of the legislature. So you have this authoritarian who says Republicans will never lose an election again. And then he has effectively unlimited power because he has the legislature behind him who's already pretty authoritarian. So it just makes for a disaster and I don't, I don't know how bad it's gonna get, but if they feel that the election didn't go their way, they now effectively, it looks like they will have the at least the people in charge that can create institutions that let them steal elections. And that's and so it very, terrifying. It really is, and they're making it very clear. I think the good part about this bad situation, and I'm using the word good slightly sarcastically, is that they saying the quiet part out loud. Right. That yeah. they are overtly saying what they plan to do. So at mm -hmm. least it gives us somewhat, Mike, of a fighting chance. They're not just doing this covertly, they're doing it very overtly. If there's just, just one like slither of silver lining, that is it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, absolutely. So the drowning of democracy, we just we keeping this going. A billionaire's lining the pockets of politicians is nothing new, but now they're doing it at record highs ahead of the midterms. Take a look at this headline from Common Dreams. Drowning our democracy, US billionaires have pumped. Lord have mercy on my soul. Almost a million dollars into the midterms. Yeah, that's what they did. Billionaires represent, you see that 0.00002% 0 
of the American population, but they're responsible for 7.4% of all political donations so far this cycle, according to Americans for Tax Fairness. Let me just break this down for you in simple terms. The corporate states of America and democracy is for sale. So between the ultra, ultra wealthy putting their whole bodies on the scale, not just their foot on the scale, like their whole body on the scale. And then you got these election deniers and people like President Trump out there. We are being suffocated in ways that many of us have not ever seen in our lifetime. Maybe some of our elders have seen something close to this. But others of us have never seen lived through anything quite like this. This is a 911. 911, what's your emergency? Democracy is being choked out between money and the craziness of Trump and others of his minions who have power. Democracy is being choked out. Please send help. Where that help? As daunting as it may be. Mike, go ahead, jump on in. Yeah, so another interesting thing about that study is that they collected the data five weeks ago. So by now, it could have already surpassed a billion dollars. And of the top 20 billionaire contributors, six of them donate to Democrats, whereas the other 14 donate to Republicans. So what they are doing effectively is they are brainwashing people because you are able to win elections more easier if you get the message out. So if you see somebody's message on TV, you hear it on the radio, you see a billboard. Well, you're going to at least identify that person. Perhaps you don't necessarily agree with the policies. Perhaps they don't even say their policies, but at least you know their name. Name recognition goes a long way. And so other studies have shown that a majority of the time, the candidate with most money ends up winning these races. So basically, and this is not hyperbole, billionaires are just buying elections. That's what's happening. And after Citizens United was decided by the Supreme Court in 2010, billionaires spent 32 million. By the next midterm, which was 2014, they spent 200 million more, so 232 billion. And then in 2018, it was almost 700 or excuse 700 million. We're talking millions right now. So in 2014, it was 232 million. And now with this election, it could be a billion by could now. Could be a billion. Yeah. It's insanity. Absolutely. And people yeah. know that money in politics is an issue, but I don't think they truly grasp how it is just ubiquitous in politics from, you know, congressional races to local judge races. It is everywhere. And I mean, imagine you are an elected official. Somebody gives you a million dollars to your super PAC. But you have this person who gave you $5, who you're gonna listen to? It's just human nature. You're gonna listen to the person who did the biggest favor for you. So this is drowning out our voices and billionaires are effectively buying off elections. And they're getting a return on that investment, by the way, which is really important. So the Americans for Tax Fairness who conducted this analysis on Twitter, they have a really interesting thread. I'd recommend everyone check it out. So they talk about how Ken Griffin is one of the billionaires who's buying out you know, elections. And he is fighting, he's spending lots of money to fight increases on taxes to wealthy people. There's another rich family who, They spent like, I don't know how much it was. It was like 20 million into electing Ron Johnson. And Mm -hmm. they got him to defeat something in Congress that would have elevated their taxes. It's just, it's so brazen. It's so brazen. So this is an investment and they're getting returns on that investment. And it's killing our democracy. So it's, it's deeply, deeply unsettling to see this happen just in broad daylight. 
Yeah, it really is. I mean, Citizen United, and that's not the only case that started chipping away at this, but certainly saying that money is speech. And the more money you have, I mean, it's hard to argue because we're seeing it happen in our life in, in real time. The more money you have, the more speech, almost a billion dollars spent. Let's put up this graph right now that shows how this spending has, and Mike was right ahead of us on this, how it has amped up over time. And you see that $881 million, we are almost at the billion dollar mark right now. And as Mike laid out, we might be over that billion mark as we speak. So who are these billionaires that insert themselves into the body politic in this way? I'm glad you asked us. We're gonna list them, so many of them, but we're gonna put them up here right now. That is really small. But here are the top 20 who have made politics a monopoly board for themselves. And guess what sisters and brothers and family and friends, they want something for this. They're not just giving this money out of the kindness of their heart. They want a return on their investment. Hence, this is how they can buy off politicians. Why is it that the majority of the policies that we the people want never really get passed, even though the majority of people want such policies, regardless of their political affiliation? It is because of people like this. More money in this country gives you more speech. And so they get a chance to lord over everybody else. Like I remember it was a time and this was, oh my God, maybe two years ago. And I used the word oligarchs. I forget which one of the mainstream media networks I was on. And this other person who I will not name went at, I mean, he was defending them as if he was one. How dare you use the word oligarch? I, I thought, I mean, luckily we were not in the same studio, but he gave me the impression that we were side by side. He was gonna try to jump on me or something like that. He was defending these folks. And here we are in this moment. What else can you call these folks other than oligarchs? Yeah, you know, I think that the only reason why you defend what's happening, you defend these billionaires is because you have this mistaken belief that, well, what if you're a billionaire one day? You don't want everyone to demonize you. You don't want your taxes to go up. But I promise you, everyone watching right now, I'm making you this promise and this is very sad. You will never be a billionaire. You are statistically more likely to get bitten by a shark and struck by lightning than to become a billionaire. So to let them get away with this, it's not acceptable. And, and you know, there's bipartisan support for not very much things, but when it comes to taxing the rich, there is, believe it or not, a lot of bipartisan support. But somehow it never happens. And this is because billionaires are buying elections and they are influencing the policies that get passed. So if you wonder why a policy that's so popular, like taxing the rich, isn't getting codified into law, well, now you know why. It's studies like this that confirm it's because they're in charge, they're the puppeteers. They are, and we want to thank Americans for tax fairness. And the patriotic millionaires, it's a few of them out there, but they have this wonderful graph that really shows, it really makes the point that you just made, Mike, which is you have a greater chance of you're closer to the poorest person than you are to people like that. Now, I know it's a shocker. I know you might need to sit down, but that is the truth. Absolutely the truth. And then why would you want to be in a club of folks who actually, among those folks, really don't give a damn about the people? That's not the kind of club you should want to be in, even if you aspire to have that kind of money. But trust and believe. Mike laid it out, other folks have laid it out. Don't believe the hype. All right. And we need to have a representative democracy that is that allows 
the greatest number of people to live out their greatest greatness. And that is not happening in this moment. And thank God that we do have some ultra wealthy people who see that and who understand that. And the patriotic millionaires are such a group. We'll be right back, don't you leave. Welcome back on to viewer comments. We have Ari Jen says, hi, Nina and Mike. Love both of you. Thanks for all Aww. you do. I know, so sweet. So Thank sweet. you. That is our TYT member on Twitch. Sander says, Nina Turner is simply the best. Aw, with a smiley face. Thank you, baby. I, I appreciate that so much. And on YouTube Super Chat, Tabla, Tabla Rasa says, unbossed with the humanist report equals bliss. I second, <laughs> I second that emotion. Yes, yes. Yeah, we second that emotion. Thank you all so much. And again, you know, thank you. I'm always gonna say thank you because we couldn't do what we do without you. And it's just so simple to just lift up our viewers, our supporters, our subscribers, and say thank you for your support of us. We really do appreciate you. Speaking of well, I'm thanking you, the viewers, but now I gotta move over here to these fools. So speaking of fools in politics. Joe Manchin is at it again, and that means we have a WTF neoliberal moment. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. What can the business community do to better engage with this somewhat dysfunctional political system you've been describing? Quit writing checks to everybody. The investments you've made in politics from the Democrat side and the Republican side by asking nothing in return is a foolish investment because you would never do that in your business world or your private life. Why don't you do this? Tell a politician when they come to you, say, listen, I'm sorry, I don't give checks. I don't give a donation or a contribution to any politician, but I'm willing to make an investment. What should I expect from you? What are you going to do? What have you done in your political life? And what will you do if this is your first time? Tell me so I can make a decision on whether I want to invest in you because I can expect something in return. Yes, the senator said that. So when you hear people like me or Mike and others who let you know, make it plain. These folks want something for their money. This is not just charity. I don't know what the senator is talking about. But every time they donate, I don't know one donor of that magnitude who is not expecting something of from the politician when they donate. But you heard Senator Joe Manchin make it very clear. Tell them you're making an investment, what can I expect? We need to start treating our votes like that. It's a transaction, it's transactional. That means we gotta get something for the vote. Instead of, Lord, I'm gonna keep it PG. Mike, go ahead, jump in right now. I'll try to keep it PG too, it's gonna be tough. No, it's it's difficult. I, I just it's so embarrassing. I can't believe that he would admit that. We all know this, so yeah. it's it's not like he's saying anything surprising. But just the fact that he would admit that and be so brazen is genuinely astonishing to me. And it reminds me of I don't know if many people have been following the Oregon governor's race. This is my state, so I've been following it very closely. So we have an independent candidate who said something kind of similar um, to Joe Manchin here. And so she basically is viable as a third party independent candidate, specifically because the Nike co-owner Phil Knight decided to write her a check for 2 million bucks. So I've been voting for independent progressive governor candidates for years in Oregon. This is the first time one has pulled over 10%. And what she said at the debate is basically the same thing. She said, listen, I would keep all of the CEOs 
in Oregon on speed dial and I would constantly call them and check in on them just so that way I can ask them how I can service them. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but there are so many politicians like Betsy Johnson, like Joe Manchin, who they actually want to be puppets. It's insane to me how they just admit this and they feel like they can say this and nobody's gonna hear it. But the fact that they know that this is gonna spread and they don't care, that tells us how brazen they've become to where they're just like openly corrupt and, and shilling for these billionaires. And they genuinely don't care that people are gonna see that and react negatively to it. It's This is where we're at. It's This is late stage capitalism, folks, where everything has become commodified, including democracy itself. This is what it looks like. But Mike, they also know there's not gonna be a consequence for it. <laughs> True. I, yeah. I mean, where's the consequence? And especially since right wingers control the Supreme Court, Right-wingers control most of the state legislatures and governor's mansions in the country. The Congress very well may flip. And having Joe Manchin, people like Joe Manchin and Cinema in there, they might as well, they Republican light as hell. And then you got a few other Democrats hiding behind them. See, so they don't have to be put out there like that because they can hide behind Cinema and Manchin. So we definitely got a problem on our hands, this is real. And so since Senator Manchin said those things, we need to use him as an example. Check out this headline, cuz he knows what he's talking about, cuz he's one of them. Manchin has raked in $400,000 in fossil fuel donations. Yeah, you heard it folks. And that's why he's doing their bidding. That's why he was able to slip stuff into, into bills. Not just slip it, I mean, just do it in broad open daylight for the coal industry. Senator Joe Manchin took in more than $400,000 from fossil fuel interest in recent months as he fought his colleagues plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the electricity sector. A number of fossil fuel executives also gave Manchin at least $5,000 each, including ConocoPhillips CEO Ryan Lance and his wife Lisa. This is real. And it's clear that Manchin's quid pro quo with CEOs have left the great people of Virginia, just of West Virginia rather, just fending for themselves because they really don't have anybody looking out for them. He looks out for his owner donors. And far too many of these politicians look out for their owner donors. And look, Mike and I, we get it. You gotta raise money to, to run a campaign, trust, I get it. I've run many a races, I've helped many a candidate. You need money for the mission. But what you do not need is the folks who have the greatest amount of money thinking that they can own you just because they have the greatest amount of money. And then for all of these elected officials who won't even take the time to raise small dollar donations because they don't wanna have to answer to you. There is a presidential candidate, I'm old enough to remember Mike, in 2016 ran for the highest office of the land and showed people very clearly that you actually can raise grassroots dollars and be competitive. He did do that twice. I'm sighing today, I try not to do it, but these people are just <laughs> sending me, they sending me there. A State Department personal data, personal, yeah. This is what is happening in this country. So hope you don't mind your personal data being given to law enforcement agencies. Get a hold, get a load of this headline, not making this up. Exclusive State Department gives law enforcement intelligence agencies unrestricted access to Americans personal 
data. That's right, the State Department has given agencies access to more than 145 million Americans personal data. Big brother and big sister, they watching, they listening, What's happening. George Orwell, 1985, that book seems so, yeah, that, that's worth a reread right there. So where's the data coming from? Passport applications. Senator Ron Wyden sent this letter to the Sec to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. I write to express serious concerns that the Department of State is providing law enforcement and intelligence agencies with unfettered access to personnel data originally collected through passport applications of the more than 145 million Americans with a passport. Thank you, Senator. Thank you for calling these calling these fools out. Now we dealing with a different kind of fool. And what's in the data? So glad you asked. We got the answer for you right here. Take a look at this. Data collected on US citizens includes name, address, birthday, fingerprints, and facial images, email addresses, phone numbers, gender, race, social security numbers, and more. This is coming from Yahoo News. So why this issue? Now all of us should be, we got like, look, we done talked about a lot of scary stuff today. This is, I mean, this is serious. You go ahead, you jump on in. Yeah, it's, it's as you said, it's very Orwellian. And I'm reminded of the Snowden leaks in 2013 when we learned that the NSA was doing warrantless surveillance on Americans. And he basically said, look, I'm giving this information to the people of America and I'm letting them decide what to do with it. And we kind of saw widespread ambivalence. So I feel as if the State Department is emboldened because nobody really reacted to that. There wasn't enough people who were outraged over the fact that their constitutional rights were being violated. And so because of that, you know, they take advantage of it even even further. And there was one person online who I saw and their response stood out to me, um, not in particular to this story, but to a different story. And they said something to the effect of, well, I don't have anything to hide. So why should I care about this? And that's such a bad attitude to have because yes. it's the principle of the matter. You are guaranteed certain rights and privacies under the US Constitution, and they're brazenly violating that. And so if they violate this and you don't care, there's another constitutional right that they will violate that you will care about. So you can't allow this to happen. And the fact that it is happening, and we don't really see anyone talking about this, it's really worrying to me because once you see people kind of check out and stop caring, that's when you know the government assumes more control, more power, they consolidate more power. And it's just, it's really, um, it's dystopian and I wish people cared. But unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people will kind of just see this and say, yeah, that's how it is, not shocking, um, next. Uh, and I get it, there's a lot happening in this country, but this is very, very serious. This is a violation of privacy, it's a violation of the constitution and it, it shouldn't happen, but it is. Yeah, and people are so overburdened right now. Too. So this issue, if I can't afford my gas and my eggs and my butter, hell, I ain't got a passport. You know, yeah. I mean, that's how a lot of people are feeling. But the 145 million folks, which I'm one of those folks. I mean, anybody with a passport, you know, this this issue is uh, is quite alarming. And so is that today, as you laid out, what can it be tomorrow? And that's what Senator Wyden was really laying out that we have a problem. And if the data being assessed by law enforcement agencies, if nobody's watching the watcher, who's watching the watcher, who's then watching the watcher, who's taking our information, 
then it can be taken and accessed by anybody. Anybody can have access to that. And that puts each and every one of us in peril, in danger. This is what the director of the Liberty and National Security Program states. If the State Department has no mechanism to vet the purposes for which government agents seek to assess this data, it is extremely vulnerable to misuse and abuse. Whether to conduct unsanctioned fishing expeditions on political antagonists or to stock a former domestic partner. This is real. So I know all of us are burdened with some things, some people more burdened than others, but please, this is something that we must continue to pay attention to. Big ups to Senator Wyden for this, and hopefully, other of his colleagues are going to sound the alarm. Congress can do something about this. They need to check the administration on this. So, today, you know, I'm talking about the bones, always about grandma's bones. Today's bone is the backbone. So let's put up Frances Perkins, she was FDR's Secretary of Labor. Yeah, she was, and she really was the brainchild behind the New Deal. We don't talk about her a lot, we always talk about FDR, and as well we should, he was the president. But this was the woman right there making it happen in real time. She was touched by her experiences as a college student, she had a professor that made them go and watch some of the circumstances that working class people face. And upon seeing how women and children had to work and the working conditions that they had to endure and that there were no protections for them, this absolutely changed Frances Perkins and became the mission of her life was to try to do all that she could to protect workers. So let's put up her quote. And the reason why I'm calling it the backbone, the people are what matter to government. And a government should aim to give all the people under its jurisdiction the best possible life. Man, if only that was true. What she was aspiring to is a great point, it's a great foundational point. We need her words to be true in real time. Are there any people in government right now who were touched in such a way through an experience through their lives that they actually see what they do in public service as a ministry? Because it is a ministry, whether you're elected or not. I, I, I call it the elected ministry. I, I just happen to believe that you ought to care about the people in a love kind of way about the people that you represent. But there are also other public servants who are not elected, they are appointed. And the same premise follows. So big ups to Frances Perkins, she was the first woman to hold a cabinet position. She was the brainchild behind the New Deal, let her words ring true. I hope each and every one of you have a fantastic weekend. Lift somebody up, lift yourself up too, I want you to be lifted. And if you can, lift somebody else up and it doesn't have to be big, it can be something really small. But make a difference in somebody's life, can you do that? Do it for yourself, it's gonna make you feel real good. And you know what I want you to do, I want you to keep the faith. Do not get overwhelmed by this, do not let situations consume you. We can make it through this, we will. It's gonna be hard as hell, no doubt about it. But we're gonna keep on pushing, I want you to keep the faith. 
most importantly, I want you to keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.